Welcome to Ludicrously Specific, an audio podcast distributed via the internet that discusses three feature-length motion pictures that share an unlikely or obscure connection. I'm Doug, and the first movie I watched ever on Tubi was Liza the Fox Fairy. And I'm Steve, and the first movie I watched on Tubi was The Legend of Bigfoot. And I'm Darren, and the first movie I watched on Tubi was Bad Black. And that was my fault. And I thought it was mo- his fault. I recommend most awesome. people see Bad Black. I, I, I don't think anybody should be blamed for showing somebody <laughs> now, um, Uganda Wakaliwood action. I think they should be praised for it. It, it is, still his fault. It is my fault. Yeah. And it was, yeah, you're welcome. It's, it, you're, it's your point of pride. Um, so we mentioned Tubi. Why did we mention Tubi? What are we talking about well, this week? That would be our specific and ludicrously specific theme. Uh, which is three movies available on Tubi.tv in New Zealand, whose title includes a synonym for the word mad. And I stress mad as not insane, as an er type mad. And what are those three movies that we're going to discuss? Yes, so we have decided to announce the three movies this time round, rather than leave you in suspense for the whole way through. So the first movie is Angry Red Planet. The second movie is Silent Rage. And the third is Furious. And uh, which is the first uh, movie that I've rated five stars that we are discussing on this program. As you should. But we'll get to that later. Um, Now, there probably are people who don't know what Tubi is. So very quickly, Tubi.tv started, I think, a couple years ago. And ostensibly, it's a commercially supported free content platform for movies and television. In practice, I've yet to see a commercial on anything I've on it. I've seen a couple, but not in the three movies we watched this time around. And I saw one at the end of Angry Red Planet and one at the end of Silent Rage, so I don't know why I'm so blessed. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you're more susceptible to buying yeah. things. <laughs> so, something about the algorithms. But yeah, in addition to um, uh, whatever TV it has, it has a great range of both good and mostly terrible films. It's interesting. There's um, overseas, it, it's got a lot of lot more well-known films. I guess is the best way to put it. And in New Zealand, they just haven't licensed those. Yeah, so it is a end of the barrel, bottom of the barrel. It's a tre- treasure trove of mm. weirdness, insanity, yeah. and you know. One Public man's domain. treasure is another man's what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes both. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's dozens of horror films from the past couple of years that I've just never heard of that look like they were made strictly for a poster and for a click through. And, Such uh, as Velocipastor, which we watched just recently. And it was actually quite a bit of fun. Um, so, surprisingly but, uh, Surprisingly so. good. So well done, Velocipastor crew. But also there's some of the like the Drafthouse films catalog, like the Tribe and the Dog, and, Agfa, um, the Agfa catalog, the um, mm-hmm. Arrow films. There's um, some of the um, Buddhist trilogy and some of their westerns and horror films. So there's a real, um, and I don't know if it's just one of those they sit on there until somebody who's licensed them says, <laughs> "Wait a moment, <laughs> please don't listen to this podcast if that's the case." If, if you have produced an amazing trash classic and it's on there, just just leave it there, okay? <laughs> Please, yeah. thanks. Please. That said, I think um, probably for our first film, the uh, royalties have uh, pretty much slid yeah, out of uh, yeah. a present concern for anyone living. It's so, not not recent, shall we say? No. <laughs> um, so let's take our first uh, synonymous journey into madness, and that would be uh, the Angry Red Planet from 1959, directed by Eb Melchior, 
Which I hope I pronounced his name right, although he passed away some years ago, so uh, he's not around to tell me off. The estate are calling right now. <laughs> um, he's directed only two feature films. I did have a look at this. He directed this and The Time Travelers five years later. Uh, did do some writing, including writing a story called The Racer, which was later adapted into none other than Death Race 2000. Whoa. Wow! One of my all-time favourite. Terrific film. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. Grindhouse classic. Absolute classic. Uh, so he directed that. Uh, he's, he's also given, or uh, he wrote that, I should say, wrote the screen, the not the screenplay, but the original short story. He's also then given credit for writing the short story that uh, was taken into the screenplay for Death Race with Jason Statham, because basically it was the same thing. Right. <laughs> Only turned into a video game, and I'm sure he would be utterly shocked if he saw that. Uh, the movie itself was shot uh, reportedly in nine whole days. Uh, Ooh, they really <laughs> spread out. Yep. Uh, budget apparently was uh, slashed halfway through production. I said it was probably only $200,000 right. to make it. Mm-hmm. Is that why the flashback structure? We'll get to that. Possibly. Um, it's apparently the, one of the biggest reasons they slashed the budget was they came up with a brand new uh, special effects uh, for which they called Cinemagic that was going to be much, much cheaper and look amazing. It was going to make drawn backgrounds look like real life and real life look like animation and as we saw ourselves it didn't it didn't really work it, it looks right. much much cheaper so they achieved <laughs> one thing <laughs> they saved some money they saved some time it it wasn't particularly I, I, it's it's not going to give 2001 a run for its money <laughs> so, uh, only used for one other film Cinemagic which was the Three Stooges in Orbit uh, right, which oh, I have wow. not seen, uh, and maybe, hopefully, we will not continue to see. <laughs> oh, if only there were two others, we could have a whole spin-off episode on Cinemagic. <laughs> but unfortunately, not just the two. Uh, starring uh, Gerald Moore. Uh, I, once again, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, who uh, the only film I've he was in quite a lot of films. There's about a hundred uh, plus films, and one of the films I've seen him in uh, was the original Invasion USA, the '50s version. Featuring Chuck Norris and not who more Chuck, later. No, Chuck Norris and it was in the the eighties. Oh, remake. different one. No, okay. this was the original. Oh. It was a fifties uh, Red Scare film. Ah, oh, right. It was all basically, you know, uh, uh, America's been attacked, and right in the middle of where Rome thought America was going to get attacked, the communists were going to nuke everybody out. Uh, so it's a, just a nice little cheap little quickie. Have seen that one. He's also in uh, the War of the Worlds. Uh, original fifties three War of the fifty three fifty three War of the Worlds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably wrong. Someone will tell me off. Uh, and also, uh, I think we had uh, our female lead. Somebody uh, came up with some interesting facts. Oh, yes, Nor- Nora Hayden, who is a um, striking redhead, which, of course, if you're going to have a red planet, I guess that's the uh, <laughs> reason there. And I was um, curious to see what she'd been up to. And it turns out in later life, she switched from the performing arts to becoming an author of um, uh, sex manuals and diet uh, <laughs> Pills. Um, there, and there's a few reviews of her books on um, Amazon, and one of them includes the um, review for her health mi- milkshake, which um, is apparently just <laughs> diabolically terrible. <laughs> oh. um, but if you if you want to know what uh, upper she was on, goop, I believe uh, you can you can go uh, re- look up Nora Hayden on Amazon and track down some of her. Uh, Tomes, but um, more of it was focused on um, teaching men how to give women orgasms. Well, her, there um, we go. So she she definitely found a niche there, which is nice. So yeah. it's, 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 <laughs> as opposed to acting, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She only did. She was probably out of the the four main leads. She did the least. She did about thirty three uh, credits over a very brief career. It's really it's a bit of a forehand of this one. Uh, to give you the 
the pocket IMDb summary. Uh, one of only two survivors from a Martian expedition is so traumatized she doesn't remember the circumstances of the trip, giving us a, a flashback structure. And it is, it's right off the bat, it's a very classic 1950s sci-fi movie. It basically starts off with an exposition dump of, yeah. look, that spaceship that we lost, it's come back. And there's a lot of very serious men with very serious haircuts delivering lots of science dialogue. Thanks for starting off right away, though. It does. There was no lead-up. It was yeah. bam. Not even credits. Just yeah. they gave the American International logo, and then bang, we're into it. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's one of these movies where you know I, I relate it to oddly enough something like Species. Mm. Uh, I'm okay. Oh. <laughs> Keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I, mean, I, I was I'm attracted dry. to Aiden as well. I am but, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, it's, it's also kind of a lot of a lot of kind of you know your sci-fi movies in the fifties tended to be quite stagey, but this mm. one definitely for me it was a real four-hander. It, it's mm. it's got the the main cast doing that that kind of alien thing where everyone's heading off into space. You got the whole rah rah uh, Americana thing going on there. You've got your your square-jawed captain. You've got your scientist, who's also a woman, and therefore is referred to twice as the girl uh, yes. by people. And, and I was curved over yeah. continually. And seriously, I thought to myself, "Back off, man! She's a scientist. She had two doctorates, they said, <laughs> and she's still the girl." There's the pipe-smoking scientist, of course, played by Les Tremaine. Yes, who is your classic? Everything he says out of him is more science gibberish than an entire mm-hmm. season of Star Trek. And means absolutely nothing mm-hmm. 60 years later. And then we have our gun-loving redneck. Our gun-loving comic redneck. Oh, funny, yeah. funny, our funny. funny man. And would you believe he had the longest career of them? Uh, of all the people, Jack Krishkin, it was his name, okay. became a very well-respected character actor. NRA? He appeared oh. in everything. If you name it, he was in it. Uh, I'm, I listed some of his things that he was in. Uh, 224 internet movie database credits before he died he was in the 60s batman uh bonanza trapper john md murder she wrote because everyone gets to be on murder she wrote barney miller uh, uh-huh. one of darren's favorite shows uh and in weird connections the a-team ironside and alice twice including playing santa and alice. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> Call back. uh jack was in everything one of his last things was in was full house of all things so he basically apparently played the, the Jewish-Italian grandfathery type character for a long wow. stretch of his later career. So he, yeah, he was... I just kept scrolling through going, Little House in the <laughs> Prairie. It's just, it just kept going. An amazing amount. And he is definitely the comic relief, but for me he's not as obnoxious as some comic relief in these 50s sci-fi films. There's a lot of comic relief you want to throw out an airlock mm. in the first five minutes. I think um, I wrote very early on marginally better than i expected and i think i think if i were to do a one sentence review give or take cinemagic we'll, we'll discuss it i would say marginally better than i expected you know the performances are actually i mean i made fun of Nora, but actually i, th- I think they're credible within hmm. the boundaries of it they're um, not as hokey or as just plain bad as i was expecting with this type of production yeah, yeah. and i've seen quite a few 50s uh, sci-fi films of this type. Um, normally, a lot of them tended to be uh, European ones, uh, Russian films that were then dubbed and they were made Americans, of course, and they were very staging. Quite yeah. often it was... 90% of it was flying to Mars or Venus and yeah. then the 10% of it was a very, very brief bit on there and they're quite dull. Joining the mm. Seventh Planet, for instance, there's a lot of ones like that which 
after a while you just just get to the planet already there's always a meteor shower this happened in this one but it was a real brief yeah. one mm-hmm. just right off the bat they gave them a little meteor shower and they flew off to Mars and then about halfway through we actually got I forgot to about the meteor shower that's was, how uneventful it, it was it was literally one meteor it's like there's a meteor coming it's, it's coming it's coming Oh, there it goes. They don't even have a, a dial for it. The only thing they have is a, like the oxygen consumption, <laughs> normal or excessive. It's like the only control panel on it's, the ship. It's a beautifully, well, how can I put it, roomy spaceship. It's, it's oh, one it's, it's, it's a factory. Room. It's, it's, it's a factory type spaceship. And yeah, yeah so basically, well, I skipped ahead of the plot. When basically the the jumping back to it's the flashbacks. It's a flashback because they retrieved the spaceship, which has gone off to Mars. They lost contact. Comes back. They've got one survivor who's our female lead, and we've got one survivor who's partially the captain and partially the green slime. So he has... But not as exciting as not the as green slime. As the green, if you haven't seen the green slime, go See the green slime. The green I haven't seen the green slime. No. See the green slime? Okay. <laughs> but he's, he's come back. He's, he's been infected by something from outer space, which is where I get the species mm. thing. Yeah. Because he was coming mm-hmm. back. So I got the Andromeda strain Andromeda, thing from Andromeda that. strain, yeah. Mm. yeah, exactly. And so he comes back. He's infected. Our female lead does not remember what's happened. Iris is her name. I should stop calling the female lead Iris, or as the captain calls her, Irish, which is a running <laughs> yeah, gag. That I was trying to work out if she's supposed to be Irish and she's called Iris. It's or the red hair. It's the red hair. Talk. He call, she know. calls him out on it at one stage, and for the rest of the movie, he continues to call her Irish because right. I think he thinks it's, it's just cute. a red hair it's thing. It's just a cute thing, I think, because Maureen O'Hara, Irish, Irish actress, yeah. red hair, yeah. that type of thing. I yeah. think. So they they then we go to the flashback as Iris tries to remember. And tell everybody what exactly happened. How mm. two members of the crew died. Spoilers. And how the captain ended up infected. And we get the the journey to Mars section. And it's actually for me, it's it's there's there's some weirdly almost accurate for the time. I mean, this is well before. Well, you mean boredom? No, 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 not <laughs> this. Well, I know. I actually, I'm going to say I did write down. Exactly. Does give the tedium of space travel. <laughs> Which is because they. This feels like me talking about the, slow cinema. You know? <laughs> it, ac- it accurately captures the enemy of a cow walking across the pasture, uh, but in uh, space. Heavy rockets. And it's not me, not me that I was right now. Me bored. It was basically there's a lot of, you know, the, the the crew is sitting there discussing things and they're they're watching the, the clock tick forward for the, the days that they're flying through. I will admit I'm the only person in this room that has seen this movie more than once. Because I did see this movie years ago on the old MGM channel here. And I thought to myself, I kind of remembered after it was suggested, this is kind of boring. But I went, no, it's actually (laughs) not as boring as I thought. Because even though it is space travel, they're in the one-room spaceship because they've got one big set and one tiny set, which is a combined bedroom and pantry, which I thought was quite impressive. I mean, good use of space, apart from the fact that they've taken tin food into space, which is not going to (laughs) fly. One thing I liked in the um, early part of the film is they did this really amazing job of cutting what was clearly just like masses of stock footage of Mm -hmm. of an actual like 60 or 70 people in a room with at NASA or somewhere with like the 12 actors in, like, an <laughs> office with, like, you know, four things that sort of looked like computers that had dials on them a lot of talking into a mic. And, like, even, like, dub- to the point of, like, dubbing some of the voices on the stock footage mm. to try to... Like, it, it was quite clever in its use of um, getting a lot out of not very much. I found the flashback um, quite interesting. Just the fact that they... 
the majority of the film is a flashback. It got me interested in in the history of flashbacks, so I did a a mildly specific deepest dive. <laughs> mildly specific. Oh, that's a, that's uh, our spin-off podcast. We'll be <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was just a little bit interested in in when face uh, when uh, flashback uh, began. So I, I had a look. It was um, the creator of the flashback technique is. Um, Ferdinand Zecker of um, a in a film called Histoire d'un crime or de une crime. That was Is that French 19... for history of a crime by any chance? <laughs> it could be. Wow. It's probably that makes more sense than my terrible ruination of that, <laughs> that accent. As that was from 1901. Uh, then the f- that was uh, not a full movie. That was right. a short film. Now the first flashback mo- movie. Uh, was in 1931 for a film called City Streets by Ruben Mamemoulion. Possibly French, I don't know. <laughs> or I Belgian. don't actually you never care. Know. <laughs> it's, uh, and, the, and that technique, the flashback, was still very rare up until 1939, where it was William Wyler's Wuthering Heights, which was actually quite a, a big deal. It was a big film. That's Laurence Olivier and Vivian Lee. And um, and then uh, and then also in 1939 at the same time back to France was Marcel Kahn movie Le Jour Se Lève yes. Daybreak which yes. is a fucking awesome film haven't seen it <laughs> <laughs> which was told almost, which was told almost entirely in flashback which is I think important because. Of course, this film that we just seen, Angry Red Planet, was very much a, lot of a flashback yeah. film. Yeah. So, was it was is isn't flashback? Isn't there some theater or literary antecedent for it as well? Oh, it's, not, it's firstly it, first would that be getting into ludicrously specific <laughs> territory? <laughs> but but away from the whole filmic side of things. Right. But yes, it, it was okay. very much a a a literary device to start with, right. and it took a while for film to pick I it see. up and okay, run with yeah. it. I was about to say, I'm pretty sure film didn't invent flashback. Oh, no, not not in any way. Just perfected it um, in the angry red planet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) True that. Yeah. And so as our flashback continues, our our crew head out into space. And once again, this is where a little bit of the almost scientific accuracy, but not quite knowing the the ins and outs of what was really going to happen. They mentioned the time lag. Of radio oh, signals. Oh, yes, yes. Although they thought it would take hours to get back and forth. It probably won't take that quite as long. They did get to Mars in 47 days, which they were booting it because that's a nine month journey minimum right. these days. I, I went and did some research and had a look, and they reckon you could probably get an unmanned spaceship there with certain techniques, you know, coming up in maybe around 30 days. But with humans, yeah, it's going to take a while. So we're going to be. If you want to travel out there, you know, pack your bags and pack a lot but of that tin food. Back so, in 1959, they yeah. travelled so much oh, longer. I mean, well, well, the yeah. cars were so much longer. You were practically where you got to. Now, I just wish the crew of the Martian <laughs> had uh, watched the uh, Angry Red Planet <laughs> so they could have taken advantage of some of these time-saving techniques. <laughs> that took ages to get out there to rescue well, Matt Damon. Seriously, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, they reach, after 47 days, they reach to the Red Planet Mars. Uh, we've got through. We've gone through quite a bit of of dialogue, very comedic dialogue about Brooklyn and, and baseball from our and science fiction from our our comedic uh, uh, lead Sam. Let's not also forget the most improbably successful 
um, sexual uh, proposition of all time. When we get back, how about exploring that dark alley? <laughs> that is a good line of dialogue. I've got to say, there was definitely uh, a, a, a sexual maneuver in our second film, which, um, yeah, oh. yes, we'll get to. That's that's going to be sick. It's going to be tough to choose between those two. Yeah. Oh, there's also one thing I noticed, and it's, it's quite a common trope, is the... Um, I, I don't know the characters, the Captain Manly Man, I would say, as we call him, as he has his shirt half unbuttoned the whole way All through the All the time. Movie. That would be Tom. He oh, has his save Tom. the kitten moment, which is a... <laughs> I didn't see a kitten on board, was it? No, well, that's it's a metaphor. true. It is a, <laughs> oh, okay. it's, it is a metaphor. It's, uh, and it was, uh, he was talking about about a dog that he had when he was a kid and um, oh, and yes. how he treated it and it was all sort of lovely and it's it's a, a common trope to make you feel nice and happy towards our hero they call it yeah the save the kitten moment so watch out for that that may come up in other <laughs> other episodes or possibly save the chicken but we'll get to that <laughs> um, so we need to talk about the red aspect of the angry red. <laughs> it's um, very red. Yeah. So the moment they land, the, the you know they're looking through those those little porthole windows they got next to the oxygen meter, and yeah, it's pretty red. Yeah. The future's so bright. I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> it's actually like it reminded me of Blade Runner twenty forty nine, only in that kind of color design of that orange on orange kind of. Mm. look of it and it's just like it was so harsh though I find I found it really hard to cinematic, watch it. basically what Cinematic did is it <laughs> overexposes everything in the front so everyone is glowing and it can, it's a weird kind of is that why the hands are like blurry everyone's blurred stuff? yeah mm. kind of yeah it, there were bits of people's bodies that were blurry accidentally discovered when someone overexposed film and then they went this is going to be an amazing special effect I thought effect. that was just, just to right. give you a kind of a radiational feel of yeah, the I'm, I'm not sure the exact technicalities of it and I think after 60 some years people yeah. have yeah. forgotten but basically somebody overexposed some film mm. and it went you know that's that's this amazing the weird unearthly glow that that's, that's what Mars looks like once or twice. that's what the jungles of Mars look like <laughs> yeah which, oh. which our scientists seem to have like a great deal of impunity of just hacking away at and destroying <laughs> things I, there doesn't I, if I were Mars I'd be angry too I would say, they, I've got to say Mars, Mars has had a bad run because 1955 so I think King Dinosaur where a black and white little 60 minute where the first four Americans arrive on Mars, mm. find it full of dinosaurs, and nuke a section of it, USA, USA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mars uh, is is not not impressive. Invaders from Mars would be somewhere in there as well. Uh, but as Mars, they come down to Mars and stuff. Yeah. Now, yeah, basically taking us over, but I don't think we got there. I mean, most, it's probably the reason that most Martians turn up here. They don't want us on their planet. This movie <laughs> they don't want us on their planet. I did write much. down, in terms of um, how the um, idiot scientists treat these things, that Ridley Scott must have patterned his idiot bio um, scientists from the alien movies on this. <laughs> the, it's, they just blunder and, do, and touch everything. Oh, yeah. In a very unscientific way, which is probably going to cause death of someone, if not them. And the thing is, they know that they shouldn't do this because the first thing that happens when they arrive on the planet, they leave, they leave Sam to look out the window and there's nothing, 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 nothing. Sam looks away, Iris looks out the window, 
three-eyed alien looks back at her. <laughs> yeah. So they know they're not alone. Well, no, but everybody's just like, oh, you woman. <laughs> <laughs> you and your See imagination things. and your ovaries. <laughs> See, there's nobody out there in this very limited access window that I'm looking through. <laughs> so it's impossible that you've seen anything. And Something it, as specific as a three-eyed, hovering three-eyed alien. alien looks yes. in the window. And of course, because of that, they decide they don't want Iris to come out with it. But Iris is a, a very modern woman. So she wants to go out, which is, I think she wanted to get away with the fact she was typing in space <laughs> on a giant typewriter on the way out. So she was a space secretary and she had to make them food as well. God, so, yeah. But they, they head out into, the, into Mars, which is, as we all know, covered in jungles. Uh, oh. Huge jungles full of massive carnivorous plants. Oh, that's science, baby. That glorious, science. just glorious <laughs> yes. in all the wrong ways. And by by plants, we mean things covered with cloth. <laughs> cloth. Yeah. But the cinematic process, it, it looked amazing. So. Yeah, I, <laughs> feed I, me by biosynthesis, Seymour. There was the giant tree bat. There was the rat monster with nasal drip. I kind of oh. lost track. The oh. rat spiders with lobster claws. My new fear. <laughs> it's, it's it's referred to on the IMDb as the bat. Rat Spider Crab, which is my new internet nickname. I think it's our new band. (laughs) (laughs) Bat Rat Spider Crab. Isn't isn't that that Jared Leto Morbius movie? (laughs) If it doesn't have a Bat Rat Spider Crab, I don't want to know. I actually originally wrote up my notes as Lobster Possum Spider, which apparently isn't quite as good. So um, it's a it basically the first the first thing that Iris does, of course, is get out there and says, "No, right, nobody, nobody, get out of sight." She says, "I won't get out of your sight, there, Tom," and immediately fucks off. Yeah, and gets attacked by a giant plant, tries to kill her. That's when Sam gets to use the weapon, Cleopatra. Oh. This is his. This is the <laughs> great love story of the film because, like, <laughs> um, you know, everything with Iris takes a back seat to Sam and Cleo's <laughs> yeah. like one true love. Oh, Cleo is his gun, basically, and it's it's kind of, they do have some science gibberish explanation, but basically, you aim it at a plant, it goes. Wibbly, wibbly, it freezes things and, and then freezes they things kind and they of shatter. Yeah, yeah. like a yeah. Nitro- liquid nitrogen gun or something. But mm. it's 50s shot on, you know, a nine-day film. So basically it's a sound effect gun that kills yeah. things. What without... you can say about this film is it's wildly ambitious. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, I mean, if they were able to actually realise half of what they wanted to do, <laughs> this could be one of the best films out oh, there. definitely. So. Well, the um, the director of photography, I don't know if either of you looked him up, but is uh, Stanley Cortez, who directed two of the most beautiful films ever made, The Magnificent Ambersons and Night of the Hunter. Oh, so, among, yeah, amongst other uh, credits on his CV. I've seen so, one of those. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I made you watch Night of the Hunter for you our did, um, and I thank you for our Christmas party. <laughs> Christmas because, party, you know, yes. yes, Christmas special. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. so I, I don't know if he's directly responsible for Cinemagic or if he just profited from its use in the making of this film, but awesome. um, he certainly has um, his bona fides, even if um, the choice of directorial angles and sets in the nine-day shooting schedule doesn't get <laughs> oh. a large chance to uh, <laughs> display them. Um I found I tolerated this film so much better than I thought. <laughs> yeah, you thought you'd be bored, and as yeah. and I said, it's there. You said it, there, it's ambitious. It when, cracks along when the when yeah, after the strangely the giant cannabis plant doesn't get Iris. Of course, then Liz Tremaine, the professor, gets in trouble because he's attacked by a what is basically an eighteen-inch puppet turned into a giant rat bat spider creature crab thing. Because of and course, it's yeah. it is fantastic. The face of it, I love because it literally is half mouse half bat 
and they give loving close-ups of it. And then it pulls back, and you can see that the little legs aren't quite touching the mm. ground because mm. it's literally been puppeteered. Despite all its rage, it's still <laughs> just a bat-rat-crab creature in a cage. Not your best work. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying too hard. Right? It's a long road to get to that one. <laughs> we, go. We, we were pulling for you. We're taking longer. <laughs> Yeah, then, I, I, they, I think that's, I mean, I don't love, um, like, I tend to love really good, just cracking B-movies, and then I love ones that are disaster pieces, and my, generally my tolerance for stuff in the middle is like, oh, and this, this was, I mean, I, th- I wouldn't call this a cracking masterpiece, but it was mm. edging enough in the, it's propulsive, it's interesting, it's failures are in kind of fun ways, and... It, it yeah somehow hits that kind of good mix of good and bad that it just kind of keeps you slightly off balance. It's very if you want want to watch something to have on um, worth doing. I can't imagine this movie. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Which you know probably was what they were aspiring to for a drive-in exactly. or something. Second or? half of a double bill, you know, and you know by that yeah. stage you're you're making out in the back seat or you know the kids are falling asleep or you're at the snack bar, and it's just it, it's just a, a it's. It's ambitious, but rubbish at times, which is... <laughs> it does have the woman save the day. Yeah. She does science the shit out of the situation. That's true, yeah, yeah. After nobody else has been paying attention to science pretty much the whole time. So jumping back, they they do the smart thing after the, uh, the attack. They decide, we're going to leave the planet. Which apparently in 1959 took about three minutes from we're going home to turning on their engines. But at this point... The force field holds them, which... Oh, yes. Yeah, so they get stuck on the planet for some time, and they start mucking about in boats. They take their boats across this weird oily lake to see what's holding them back, and there is a Martian city. And it's a pretty decent-looking illustration. It looked great on the Mm. cover of a sci-fi magazine. And this is the greatest line of dialogue that I had to write down. (laughs) Those buildings didn't just grow, they were made. (laughs) Science, baby! (laughs) <laughs> Fortunately, we don't get to see any further into this because one, it's a drawing, well, that's and right. two, the second greatest creature comes out, yeah. which is basically, I'm going to be blunt here, okay? If a hovercraft fucked a jellyfish, that's what you've got. <laughs> and that's really that's not blunt enough. <laughs> that's that's actually really accurate. accurate. It, it is a massive jellyfish-like creature with one big eye that rotates like a police light, which <laughs> made me laugh so hard. And it's also a hovercraft. I mean, it jellyfishes along through the water chasing. And it kind of grows and, yeah. It does whatever the fuck it wants to do when it wants to do it. It does. And what it does is it eats the comic relief. Yes. (laughs) Woo! Woo! So, So, you know, I'm on its side. (laughs) Uh, If only it had been in Carry On Spying. (laughs) Get Kenneth Williams! Uh, have you ever seen Amazon Woman on the Moon? I have, but not for a long time. What I love about that movie, looking at this one, is that they they have the comic relief character in the framing story, which is a parody of 1950s oh, sci-fi. Yes. And he half of him seems to really be modelled on Sam. He talks about Brooklyn, he talks about baseball. He does have a monkey, which I think is another movie entirely that they're spoofing there as well. Right. But when I looked at that, I'm just thinking that is that's Sam I went back and had a look at it and went yeah Sam is, is obviously someone saw that film and went you know, obviously maybe Joe Dante or something and yeah. we, we've got to have we've got to have that character in there well if we do our anthology comedies and do that in Kentucky Fried Movie and uh, what would be the third Ooh. the Groove oh. Tube or something oh or? god no oh, please <laughs> 
I'm sure we can come up with something a bit more. Unless you want to hear me say the words fuck off and die movie many times, but I don't want to watch the group too. (laughs) So you're saying Mr. Mike's Mando video? Well, if you wanted to try add a British one to that, there's the Magnificent Seven Deadly Sins that. uh, I've got nothing left with British. uh, I'm getting blank faces here, so this is is a good but terrible sign. Fine, let's move on, shall we? Before we leave this film, I just love the fact that it, it does move along at quite a pace but its cracking finale is science with a centrifuge, some writing, and electricity. Yeah, because it takes our female lead, takes Iris to work out what has gone down, why the our errant captain is turning into a blob. And, and why their complete failure to address any sort of protocol re-quarantine or anything no, else str- has not affected no, anybody they, else. They had him in a, his own room with a curtain. So oh, yeah. what else can but you do? She was frankly? holding his hand half the time. <laughs> the, the infected love, green baby. Uzi hand. Yes, and I just watched the Andromeda Strain, and, which is like, <laughs> and, and, and to go from that to this is like. <laughs> but, but it it's does a sharp have a, left turn. It does yeah. have a great epilogue because yeah. they, they spend quite a bit of time at this end, and you go, "Well, where are they going with this?" She cures them. True love blossoms. And then they decipher the alien language, and it literally is a speech from the Martians that says, get the f*** off our planet. Mm-hmm. It is yes. in no uncertain terms. It puts the angry and angry red planet. Yeah. Mm. You're a bunch of yeah. swamp-dwelling ape descendants who are going to mess up the universe. If you come back to our planet, we're going to war the worlds the hell out of you. That's it. Fuck yeah. off with your opposable thumbs. We don't need you. <laughs> and your yes. two eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your failure to have intercourse with other craft. <laughs> so, I think maybe yeah. we could leave that one. <laughs> I think we could leave it right there. Yeah. So, it's, that brings us to the Norris of it all. Oh, oh I was going to say, speaking of ambitious but rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe I'm doing it too much of a service by saying ambitious, but <laughs> although I have some thoughts, but um, first of all, let's talk. Let's let's get our little uh, mini primer on Silent Rage here. So no surprises to Doug's opinion on this movie. <laughs> so no, I, I'll Silent have Rage. <laughs> so Silent Rage, 1982, directed by Michael Miller. So we have Chuck Norris as a sheriff. He takes on an unkillable serial killer, and this film has mad scientists, Frankenstein's monster, axe murderers. And the bland intensity of Chuck Norris. <laughs> that, in a nutshell, is this fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> and now the the personnel we've got uh, Chuck Norris. Now I uh, did apologise to my fellow podcasters that I didn't have time to do a a, a normal. Um, review of his career so i'm gonna do a wiki deep dive so join me (laughs) or you could go on to wiki and read it along with me (laughs) so carlos ray chuck norris are we you actually going to read the whole wiki article no no i'm not i have have that kind of narrator's voice okay so carlos ray chuck norris who's born 10th of uh, march 1940 so, American martial act, uh, artist, actor, film producer, screenwriter. He also is um, had a very celebrated military career. And uh, he made some films that lots of people went to see. Hugely big in the 80s. Uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid, which is a sort of Jesus Christ style um, allegory. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh yes, is um, is a film that we might. How do, be how do I auditorially communicate nonplusness? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna just take a photograph. Well, I think the oh, Wait What is interface and right, okay. on the internet. I think. And of course, he had the, uh, the Walker Texas. Chuck, okay. <laughs> he had the TV um, series Walker Texas Ranger that ran for about nine seasons, several TV movies. And he was also in The Expendables number two, which I think was his last movie appearance. So I'm going to just uh, step in because I discovered, or I realized about halfway through that I had never actually properly seen a Chuck Norris movie before. Uh He's apparently in Dodgeball, which I don't recall at all. Um, I, don't I watched it on a plane. He must he must be in a cameo or something, something similar. And uh, he's in the Guy Madden film The Green Fog, where he uses footage of other films shot in San Francisco to recreate <laughs> Vertigo. And so they have a sequence um, where I'm making the um, same face Doug just made. <laughs> yeah. So they have a sequence where where they make uh, use of the um, sequence where uh, Jimmy Stewart's character is mourning the loss of Kim Novak's character, and they have Chuck. Uh, just looking blankly into the distance, and I thought they were making fun of him and his lack of emoting ability. Um, <laughs> I did. I hadn't realized they were accurately depicting it. Um, or on the plane. Yeah. But um, so immediately after watching this, I had a quick look through my collection. Like, do I have any other um, Chuck Norris movies? And I had a documentary called Killer versus. Uh, no, sorry, Kung Fu Killers, which uh-huh. is on the Made in Hong Kong Blu-ray. There's like five extra. Um, Brian Trenchard Smith oh, documentaries nice. yes. or f- films and one of them is Grant Page going to Asia to meet people who do this mysterious kung fu and he does not meet Chuck Norris but they have a clip of Chuck Norris's fight with Bruce Lee in Way of the Dragon which is his uh, entree into the big screen and talk mm. about him as a six time kung fu star and so you know the early the that first period of Chuck Norris is much more kung fu driven and then those of us who grew up with him in the mid 80s think of him as holding you know mostly uh giant uh, <laughs> machine guns. the cannon years of course because the cannon years he would yeah. anything you could shoot i mean invasion usa was huge yeah uh, i mean I've, I've seen a lot of those films and that will surprise no one in this room everything from where the dragon to the octagon mm. which i grew is up one of with all of these ones. things as well absolutely. yeah and so and it, my aunts were absolutely obsessed with chuck norris <laughs> mm. And real internet meme in the early days of the internet, of course, where it was the Chuck Norris jokes were everywhere and told everyone, you know, about how tough he was. And my yes. kid is, you know, not even into his teens, and he still makes those jokes. He's he's found right. the Chuck Norris <laughs> jokes uh, archives in there. But as you say, he's not the most expressive actor. And in this no, film, no, probably less than even in, say, Good Guys Wear Blacking, or he may have a little more... A little more emotional range. Well, the, you know. the table that this microphone is resting on <laughs> is more emotional than Chuck Norris. <laughs> but doesn't have the same intensity, so I'll, I'll give him that. <laughs> now, the rest of the personnel, it's, uh, we, we can certainly come back to Chuck Norris, and I'm sure we sure will. Sure we will. <laughs> but the rest of the personnel in, in this movie, we've got Stephen Keats, who's the mad scientist. Uh, is uh, One of his first film was Friends of Eddie Coyle. Oh, his good one. last film was Vibrations. Oh, okay. Well, I was vibrations. waiting for the reaction. Uh, we've, we've seen Vibrations. We, I urge Several you to times. watch it sight unseen because for the first five minutes you'll say, Why are we watching a, a Christina Applegate? A Christina Applegate teen comedy that seems to um, have nothing to hand to its audience. 
I should give it the year of release so you can hunt that down. Because <laughs> there are probably other films called Vibrations oh, that I'm, might not have a uh, family of an audience. Yeah, there's some from the 70s, I'm sure, which are much. It's 1996. Uh, James Marshall, Christina Applegate, Faye Grant. That's all we'll say. Don't read anything about it, but find it if you can. And Stephen yes. Keats plays the policeman father of the the lead in, in that movie. There's also Ron Silver, so a great actor uh, known for many things, Reversal of Fortune being one of his big ones, and also Heat, Vision and Jack, which was a failed pilot uh, written by Dan Harmon and Rob Shrub, where he played... Or introducing Ron Silver as Assassin Ron Silver, right. which uh, I also urge you to find. It's on YouTube. There's also William Finley, who is known for Phantom of the Paradise, as the Phantom of the Paradise. And Stephen First, who was in Animal House, was also in Babylon 5. Uh, he's the rather portly um, yes. deputy sheriff. Right, and so now I think we just crack on into it. That's uh, so okay. This film so needs some film. discussion. Yeah. So I just want to say that I, I wrote three pages because wow. I was fascinated by I'm just a couple things. Sit back and relax. Okay. So, so this begins with analog eighty synths, and I'm like, okay, I'm in the tank for this film, and then the font comes up. And I'm like, I'm really in the tank for this film. <laughs> but it also um, showed that it was a horror film. It was un- under the the music was yeah, so. This is horror, a yeah. fucking horror movie. Yeah. And the problem is that like, apparently the composer only knew how to do horror music stuff. <laughs> so the only scenes that have music are with horror, That's and true. so there's like six there's minutes of music lot. in the whole. There's a lot film. of scenes that needed some music. If you've got a fight scene and it's just. <laughs> Thud. Chuck Norris thud. Thumping thud. 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 Yeah. It's not it's not oh. well thought out. Yeah. Otherwise it's just someone falling on a keyboard <laughs> exactly. making ominous <laughs> sounds. <laughs> but uh, but the opening I thought there was some legitimately terrific stuff. Um there's two DOPs accredited with the film and I don't know if that's part of it. But um there's a great long take near the start where our um, villain, who's been infected by something from a lab and is gradually going insane, mm. like comes down the stairs, passes some other people in like this kind of dorm house he's staying in, goes outside past the chickens, with some <laughs> kids run by him. Um, they come inside. He comes inside another door holding an axe. And this is all done in one shot through this really um, kind of John Cassavetti's handheld follow thing. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be somewhat ambitious. Hmm. Um, was, that level was, of ambition was not maintained. I was a little more distracted by the fact that everyone that scene I hated within minutes. There was uh, the shrieking housemaid, the children with dicks. And oh, yeah, but who's going first, to get an axe? So who minds that? Who came back with an axe? So, yeah. I mean, it, was, it, it perked up. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I wrote it needs Tom Savini, and that's the thing, I think, you know, because um, it doesn't... I think that's something you alluded to with like, oh, it sets itself up as a horror film, mm. but it's got the science fiction stuff, yes. but it's got this action stuff. It's... And then there's got a lot of drama scenes that aren't very dramatic, even if Chuck Norris wasn't um, intimidated by the notion of acting. Mm. Um, there's just, you know, a lot of mm. scenes with not much tension that it's like they've bolted down a camera and been like, we're doing one take of this. You guys talk for a minute and a half. Sold. <laughs> and it's like you just can't cut the scene. And so it's like, you know, when um, Ron Silver comes home to his wife and they talk about what they're going to eat and oh, pizza. The and just like, scene. Uh, it just goes. I think oh. I wrote at one stage, are you still talking about pizza? 
All right. Yeah. Turns out they were. Was, was it sponsored by Pizza Hut? I'm uh. just, seriously, that scene just needed to be cut. <laughs> yeah. Badly. But uh, it, it did start off, as you say, with this, with this nice sort of ambitious sequence. And then we got the same sort of thing, but we had Chuck Norris as Deputy Chuck Norris. Yeah. Heading in, or Sheriff Chuck Norris, presumably, heading into the house. And they did the same following thing there. That's but true. Mm. the tension in that scene was lacking somewhat. Because, mm. I mean, obviously they're not going to kill Chuck Norris in the opening scene. And if so, I would have been very, very surprised and a lot more interested than I actually became in the movie. <laughs> also, some of the worst deputies that he's working with. I mean, Deputy Hair Trigger that just about blew his head off before yeah. he walked in the door. <laughs> and constant jokes about his, his brand new rookie deputy uh, who's... Not very good at being a deputy. He's a bit of a hair trigger. He's overweight. There's so much that they just... Oh, there's that childhood trauma story. Childhood trauma oh, story. oh, oh the that... popsicle dog oh, humour. Yeah, oh, yes. yeah. And it's one, once though. I saw him in there, I thought, wow, a couple of things. One, I'm not putting huge money on him getting to the credits. And <laughs> I'm also not putting huge money on the fact I'm going to like this guy very much. And the film tried to make me not like him. And then it tried to make me like him, and it was too late. I was surprised yeah. by how, when Chuck Norris does enter the, the house searching, he's very thorough. If you're hiding in a cupboard, he's going to find Check you. the pantry. <laughs> every, what was he looking for? Under the, under the cupboard, every, the every Are you under this tin of beans? No. <laughs> you're sneaky. Where are you? <laughs> and that scene goes on for too long. decades. He stalks, he stalks. He gets into a fight. He chases a guy through the house. He chases a guy outside yeah. the house. I think it's at least I think I timed. I think it's at least twelve minutes long. The opening yeah. sequence. Oh yeah. As it just and this is this movie is an hour and forty seven minutes long and yeah. and it feels long. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. It is long for a Chuck Norris film. It's long for a film. I've got to say, with the 20 minutes to go, I was checking on the internet to find out how much my kid's orthodontist was going to cost me, which is also too damn much. <laughs> uh, but also, it's it's um, so we have this opening scene that sets up this adversarial relationship between Chuck Norris and this guy with the axe, who is turns out to be dead, or is he? Is he? Or he's not. Well, um, but they don't then come to face each other again until and I timed it 88 and a half minutes into the movie so that's over 70 minutes of wheel spitting of like finding ways for him to kill off minor characters while Chuck Norris isn't in the room and for people to be put like there's actually a scene that reminded me of that um brass eye pedophile thing where it's like they're like well, we sent this dangerous pedophile into space, but we accidentally put a 10-year-old boy in there. That was the one thing we didn't want to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and this literally has, like, the, oh, you've been traumatized by the death of your brother. We'll take you to the one place <laughs> where his mad killer happens to be. Uh-huh. It is, it's an odd little town in Texas because they don't seem mm. to have a doctor. They don't seem to have a hospital. They have a clinic that does medical things kind of, but also does weird genetic experiments, which seems yeah. to be their main thing. And that's where Ron Silver is, as as Doctor Obviously Quite Evil, uh, and Doctor Even More Quite Obviously well, Evil. Ron Silver's not obviously Silver, well, quite evil. At the side, he, he really... He's, less, he, he's, he's obviously less evil, less evil yeah. than, than the, our the more evil. We've got a more evil one. I mean, they're, they're definitely... They're, they're getting dead people. They're experimenting to try and bring them back from the dead. And... Chuck definitely kills the hell out of John, who's our, our walking serial killer. And 
Ron does try to go, no, okay, we've got to stop this experiment. Yeah. We can't we can't bring him back from the dead. And of course there's there's three guys in the room. It, it's not clear who's actually in charge there because yeah. they all seem to be equal. But then of course But nearby the end it's revealed that Brown Silver isn't evil. Isn't evil, no. But that only but comes out like yeah. mm. Pretty late. And actually, yeah. one thing that did strike me is so it's it's no surprise the uh, Ron Silver, who is the lesser lesser of the evils, gets stalked by the uh, serial killer. How? Uh, what? The question I had was, how did he find the fucking house? I I don't know that. So, that no, no, that doesn't. But but there's also like well, there's more oh, there's, questions. There's so many questions. <laughs> in this. Um, but there was just no way it's that he would have found found him without found the, him. anyone else's help. So no. it was a a discrepancy, let's call <laughs> amongst many. But as we let's get to the the real big thing, which caught me and actually drove my wife out of the room, and that was as early on because there. In, while Chuck's still in the film, because as you say, up until 88 minutes, he doesn't actually know that John still exists. As far as he's aware, yeah. he's dead. He's never run into him. He doesn't mm. know where the plot's going He's on. mostly just very slowly preparing for a getaway. Exactly. Oh, I mean, except for the whole love montage, which I thought was supposed to take like three weeks. This, and then actually it was only like a really long afternoon. This, the, this love interest, <laughs> actually, my, my wife has seen some terrible movies that I've been watching. Very rarely has she got up and walked out of the room because <laughs> he meets... Chuck meets his old flame and she says, well, what happened six years ago doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter because they never tell us what that was ever in the film. And it's a long film. They never explain why they broke up. So they're driving in the car and Chuck sticks his finger in her ear. (laughs) And my wife got up and walked out of the room going, do you think that was going to work? Next scene, they're in bed together. And well, she I yelled, says the line, yeah. so I won't go to bed with you. And then the next scene, next scene. she's in bed. Yeah. Yeah. He sticks a finger in her ear, which is some sort of weird Chuck Norris foreplay. The next yeah. minute, they're in bed. Gratuitous boob shot. I called out to my wife, hey, they're in bed. And she just went, that movie, shit, I'm not watching it. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, well, I have to. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's there is a lot of random gratuitous boobage in this movie and there's uh, the female characters are well to be fair we have as yeah. much topless male scenes as we do to, yeah and I that's mean, mainly Chuck Norris, 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 Silver gets gets his kid off, his as, well. off as well oh, um, and yeah. I and I think our um, super villain does as well a couple times and a couple but, times yeah, um, yeah. but yeah yeah there's definitely like equal policy but you know I mean obviously <laughs> yeah. unequal in the larger <laughs> scheme of but things but this, this movie everything is connected because Ron Silver's character is also the brother <laughs> of Chuck Norris's ex and uh, she lives with them as well which is confu- always mm. visiting I can't tell that's never explained I, I have did, did we know they lived together when not until <laughs> yeah. she I don't think we did we didn't meet Ron Silver's wife until three minutes before the, the get start stalking Ron Silver she was mentioned yeah popped up in the movie 47 minutes in, I think. Yeah. Pizza, 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 pizza. They discuss pizza for half an hour. Yeah. And then some murdering happened. And it's like, am I supposed to care about this character? Because she just appeared. She could have been the pizza delivery girl for all I know. I, I thought, maybe quite wrongly, but I thought <laughs> that was uh, that sequence was actually quite well done in a sort of thrillery ness ish 
But I, I have a feeling I might have some competition yeah, here. I'm, I may disagree with that. <laughs> I, I didn't mind, but I think it's probably a bit of Stockholm Syndrome, where it's like, <laughs> it's like something's happening. This is interesting. <laughs> they actually remember... I, I think actually, I, this I is where I wrote down, finally we have a soundtrack, one farty note on an analog synth. But still, <laughs> at, least it, at least it's going... I think that's our other name for a band, is one farty note on an analog synth. <laughs> is that a band from Furious? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, the soundtracks did not improve as we went along. <laughs> so, the planning on this movie, though, at that point, because at this point, our serial killer has started to actually murder people. Yeah. And Chuck Norris is spending 20 minutes on a side plot with a group of bikers. Only um, for action's terrible sake. Terrible 80s central casting bikers that turn yeah. up, get in a fight with them. To come back, start another fight, more gratuitous toplessness, and then get run out of town. And it's if you cut that entire sequence out of the movie, one, it would be an hour and 27 minutes long. It would still suck, but yeah. it would suck less. It's well, I don't purely... know. There's the motorcycle going through the window is pretty cool. That, that's the... Yeah, I've got to admit, that stuntman's probably still feeling that sort of thing. The stuntman doesn't <laughs> that, go through the yeah, window. The, they, it starts on one side with a cyclist on it, <laughs> and he doesn't make it through the other I'm side. I'm hoping they had the, so, the, yeah. the apparatus to pull him off the bike, because otherwise his head just went into the window frame, and he's... He's concussed yeah. to this day, but that I, that scene did not make a fact that it was you, twenty minutes of plot that didn't need to be there. Yeah, I, I I agree. I figured that it was there simply because if you didn't have that, you wouldn't have anything of uh, Chuck Norris doing his functional kung fu. Yeah, <laughs> they, they did fling themselves at him one at a time. Well, no, we ha- we have his his final fight. Where, uh, but, but that's um, a long yeah. time to that's wait for Chuck Norris time. to throw down. Yeah, yeah, and in the meantime, we have these scenes where I, I wrote. Chuck's emotional register at finding a dead body less expressive than me finding out that the cheese has gone off in the fridge. I would take that very emotional. Darren, your food was acting uh, in as going from A to A minus, didn't you? (laughs) It's 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 not a large emotional range, and it's this is the problem with this movie that I had because, as I say, I've seen a number of Jack Norris movies, and I've quite enjoyed quite a few of them. Right, and this one I despised. It's very very dull Mm. it's stupid in a bad way i mean not one but two characters in the same scene see the serial killer and run upstairs which is one of those classic right yeah yeah one of them after walking through a door runs up a flight of stairs also a character closes a door with a dead body on it after walking through that door (laughs) and and never notices until she turns around to leave the room and i'm thinking wouldn't that just have kind of squished into the wall a little bit. He might have noticed a dead Ron Silver yeah, hanging on the back brother. of the door. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm, I'm losing the ability to, to be <laughs> coherent about this movie. It annoyed me that much. And, and the, the lack, of the, they have, it's almost like they just got sick of working on it. Uh, <laughs> because, because it ends literally like with the invincible bad guy who's scientifically engineered to completely regenerate himself down a well and I'm Being like this can't be the end he's just down a well Chuck Norris says it's over let's go home I'm spoiling this now but I'm, and, and, and then and then we go down the well 
and then the, there's a freeze frame as the hand comes up or something, because and it's like, we... oh my god, I'm surprised the guy, invulnerable guy who like survived multiple gunshots and healed from them, like managed to live after being thrown he down. He didn't even put anything heavy well. on the top of it. They, he he just threw him in an open well and left. Let's just yeah. and you know some stupid it dog's gonna be going. It wasn't even like let's call the police. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's see, let's see if this him. body's gonna contaminate a water source. It's just. Let's go home. And they weren't even supposed to go home for the weekend. They were supposed to go away. (laughs) At least he could, like, live up to his promise of, like, the time in the mountains. They set this guy on fire. Another scene. Full body burn. A Mm. complete full body burn. You know, typical 80s stunt. Set the stunt on a fire. Let him stumble around. Fall into the lake. He comes out of the lake like Terminator 2. His clothes have regenerated. There's no burn marks. <laughs> I nearly threw my notebook through the it's TV. It's a great party trick. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, as, as you say, after 88 minutes of waiting for Chuck Norris oh, to yeah. work out he was actually in the movie, it really wasn't worth it. The fight yeah. scene at the end is one of his lesser ones. There's no music. It's just yeah. kicking. Mm. The other guy is not a martial artist. Yeah. And as you say, at the end, they open up a well, and it's like, he's just going to throw him down the well. Boom, he threw him down the well. Freeze frame, credits, I want my money back, please. And this is a free service. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do want to follow the career of Michael Miller, the director of this movie, he <laughs> did go on uh, the very next year to uh, direct National Lampoon's Class Reunion, and then um, had a very successful career in the 90s, Directing a whole lot of Danielle Steele TV movies. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. He found with his, with his clear gift for melodrama, it's no real surprise there, to be fair. Um, and speaking of melodrama... Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> well, oh, we, um, we try to segue. Well, you, might, you might have been saying, are these guys going to watch anything that I, they can unconditionally recommend <laughs> that, you know, captures the true power of cinema, the expressive... Um, <laughs> The expressive limits of the medium, the way that, you know, you can truly feel the soul of its creators. <laughs> A jury's still out. But <laughs> to, we'll which, you know. to which I give you Furious. <laughs> so, Furious, um, my attempt to write a plot summary. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> the story of a race of interdimensional invaders led by Philip Ree in a white wig and assisted by a bad magician who are trying to get together to put some mystery amulet and assemble it while they convert their enemies into chickens that they then serve at their fast food restaurants. The only man who can stop them is Simon Ree, who only owns one red sweater and runs a kung fu ch- school for children. <laughs> That's pretty so, succinct. You actually came on more plot points than I worked out. I didn't realize they own the restaurant yeah. to serve the chickens that were formerly their enemies. And yeah. that does make kind of sense when you watch the movie. But the yeah. movie itself doesn't make sense, but in an amazing way. Yeah. And the bad magician, I, I wrote down magic by David Bland. <laughs> yes. So there's a story There's a story with everything in this film. So it's directed by two USC film grads, Tim Everett and Thomas Sartori. They got out of school in 1984. They wanted to make a movie really badly. They only had. <laughs> they did. Yeah, they did. <laughs> they only had eighteen thousand dollars, and that was enough for them to film about ninety minutes of thirty-five millimeter film. This film is shot on thirty-five millimeter, even though the extant print on uh, Tubi is very clearly sourced from uh, analog VCR or something VHS. Mm-hmm. Um, now, normally when you shoot film you need more than the actual runtime of the film in order to make it. But they shot 90 minutes of film, and they made a film that's 71 minutes, including five minutes of credits, um, which involves such techniques 
as um, repeating footage or uh, yelling action and then starting the camera so they didn't waste any valuable frames um, (laughs) (laughs) that they could otherwise use. This is explaining Um, much. It was shot in six days. They had budgeted for seven, but it stars uh, martial arts, Korean martial arts teachers, actually American-born, uh, Simon and Philip Ree pissed off to Tijuana on the final day of the shoot, so they didn't get all the shots that they needed. <laughs> Not that you could tell. Um, ostensibly, the credits say that the director of photography is Arnold Socknusen. I googled Arnold Socknusen. He does not exist. <laughs> Apparently only two people made this film, in fact, which are Tim Everett and Thomas Sertori, which is why there's no uh, sync sound. Um, there's a bunch of credits. Apparently one of them worked at an optical lab. The story that he tells on a Scarecrow Video podcast, episode 43, where the um, fellows from Scarecrow Video tracked down Tim Everett, and this is where I've got all this backstory from. Uh-huh. Uh, he says they took the um, optical credits from uh, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, moved everything in name, and then just used the same credits but a different um, slight name, and so that it would look like people actually worked on the film. <laughs> now, I did a bunch of Googling around the Wrath of Khan credits, and that doesn't work, so I don't know what because <laughs> I, I don't know what the deal is. Um, so they, they made this movie, they four-walled it in uh, L.A. for seven days. The first day, the L.A. Times writer comes out, and he gives it this review where he actually, he got it, and he's like, You know, it's an off-the-wall science fiction uh, film by these two young USC things. And people say, USC, sci-fi, it's the next George Lucas. (laughs) And so (laughs) the next screening, it's like they have all these studio guys, these young studio guys. Let me see your movie. And they get halfway through and they're like, what the fuck is the, you know, it's <laughs> like yeah look at the poster but the guy in the paper is like well you know we didn't write the review but you know the, the poster has like you know this guy with a sword on it what do you think so anyway uh, um, I'll, I'll talk about the careers of uh, Philip and Simon Ree a little bit um, Philip had not not done much uh, on screen before this except uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken's A Fistful of Yen but um uh-huh. This is not a Shawade, you know, that whole <laughs> segment, which is the right. Bruce Lee parody. He, yeah. he has a small role in that. Kentucky Fried um, Movie. He, I was going to say, Kentucky Fried Chicken, you confuse me there, but yeah. we do have chickens on the brain here. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we've seen him as well in uh, Ninja Turf, a.k.a. L.A. Street Fighters, which uh-huh. was directed by Wu Sang Park, who would go on to Miami Connection. Uh, meanwhile, Simon Rhee... Uh, coordinates stunts on heaps of Hollywood shows. He's got a Twitter account called The Simon Ree, and you can go there, like, watching him being positive, hanging out with people from Lucifer and Jessica Jones and Scandal and having um, dinner in L.A. with his brother. Apparently, they're still really good friends. I think Philip Ree runs uh, the martial arts school. Um, and together, um, they popularized Taekwondo through a series of movies called Best of the Best because they believed in martial arts for positive causes. And one day, somebody asked Philip, like, well, how come you only play the villains and stuff? And he recognized this internal contradiction and decided to make a, a Taekwondo series of movies that you know followed the Olympic competition and people. I saw oh, the driving. original one on VHS, and I remember they did used to pack out the video stores. There was a ton of those ones. Yeah, there's and at least four. This is back in the, yeah. in the 90, early nineties. I would have seen this one. Right. Yeah. Because my younger cousin wanted to see it, so we we watched. A few martial arts movies. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen some of those ones earlier on. Don't I, remember a dick about them now. It's I haven't seen at least four. 
<laughs> I've seen none of them, but I'm curious. I'm curious because um, I will say that, um, and I'll I'll quickly sum up the uh, careers of our directors, and then we can get into the film. But I will say that I felt like one of the reasons this is a successful film is because their relative incompetence on the camera means that they didn't try to get too crafty in how they covered their martial arts. And these guys are actually good at what they do. And they had some very game stuntmen doing some very not safe stunts. <laughs> and so, and so just letting a, a very good martial arts activity play out in front of the camera with capable people gets you a certain amount of the way. And then throwing a chicken in gets you the rest of the way. Um, all the way. All the chickens. As, as for the co-directors, uh, Thomas Sartori became a colorist whose credits range from the disaster film Right at Your Door to 166 episodes of Seinfeld. Um, Tim Everett uh, makes his living doing digital effects, so he's done everything from a heap of Babylon 5 and heaps of feature films as well, including stuff on um, Fantastic Four and Poseidon, I think, and, and then lots of, like things that you've never heard of. Um, uh, he's also directed three other films, uh, which in 1993, he did a film called The Evil Inside Me, a thriller with Roddy McDowell and Sage Stallone with zero IMDb reviews. He did a film in 1996 called Too Fast, Too Young, a crime thriller with Michael Ironside. This has four IMDb reviews, including this one, which I will read in its entirety <laughs> because it sold me on the Buckling. film. <laughs> this movie is hilarious. A must-see. It is pleasantly terrible in the vein of a fat Steven Seagal movie. But they also <laughs> had, tried to add an artistic touch and fail miserably. The narrator adds these little bite-sized philosophical stories, but she is only as profound as Jack Handy from SNL. I think a pillow should be the peace symbol, not the dove. The pillow has more feathers than the dove, and it doesn't have a beak to peck you with. <laughs> I saw this movie when it first came out straight to video, and I still laugh about it to this day. This also should teach a lesson. Never send your mother to the video store. I would love to star in a sequel of One Was Ever Made. This reviewer is my favorite person. <laughs> um, I would hang out with that guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then his final film takes a sharp right turn, final as of now, uh, Trees Grow Tall and Then They Fall, which is a no-budget drama that was shot for, like, no money in the, kind of the DV area, 2005, written by his wife, Verna Everett, which looks pretty terrible, uh, and leans entirely on drama, as far as I can tell, and has no IMDb reviews either. So we're pretty much left with the evidence on hand. Which is amazing. Which is oh amazing. My Furious. Uh, this was this was the one that set this episode in motion because yeah. Doug said we have got to see Furious and we have to find a connection. And once again, it was down to me to try and find a connection. And I looked. I looked for movies with <laughs> brothers. I looked for movies with actors called Simon playing Simon. Didn't and find three. Didn't find three. We found a couple, but yeah. nothing that we could really use. And then we just went for the angry thing, you know, because yeah. let's face it, angry, mad, furious, why not? It's and that was the game that was rage. a lot of scope. Yes. But <laughs> I think this was the last movie that Darren watched out of it, and this was the first movie I watched out of it. It was and the film that broke me. Oh, it, this, this <laughs> In a good way, right? In, in, in a good way, but in a broken way. <laughs> uh, uh, I've watched it twice now. Oh, wow. I will be watching it twice it's, because I'll yeah. oh, probably three times. I'm probably showing mm. it to people that have not seen it <laughs> yeah. because it is that movie which is so far in my wheelhouse. It's driving. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, I mean, it's, it's it's from the moment it starts because the the movie logo is a lion wearing sunglasses. And I'm just like. <laughs> 
<laughs> we're onto something special here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and we we get bad magic. Yeah, so apparently, like the magician was a friend with somebody, Surprise. but he wasn't very good, and so um, and they didn't have enough money for a second take. So they're like, okay, I guess we're making him a bad magician. Also, they didn't have a script, so like they had a friend who was going to write a script, and three days before they started shooting, he's like, uh, I, I got nothing, sorry. Uh, so they just kind of like started, and they were working stuff out as they went, which is why um, so much of the exposition happens, like four-fifths of the way through the movie and also why it comes out of the mouth of a pig. 12 yeah. minutes 56 is the first audible word. First line of dollar. All right. It's, In this 71-minute film, which is five minutes of credits. Literally, yeah. we start off with credits with somebody doing some close-up magic not very well and that yes. one I wrote down was this filmed on a box brownie <laughs> it's as you said the VHS transfer is not brilliant but yeah. you know it's vaguely in focus and it's almost in color it's uh, yeah. it has, it's faded somewhat nine minutes 30 I wrote was uh, actual decent moves come as a complete surprise <laughs> yeah. the, it's it was finally realized that there was some real martial arts talent in this film but, but, yeah, there's but, a lot of running that leads up to that yes we set up with just a, like unnamed female character being chased by three guys dressed like Genghis Khan. It all looks like it's going to be Quest for Fire or something like that, you know? Like it's set 6,000 years the ago. The time and like... frame is confusing because <laughs> yeah. they literally, they dress up like, a couple of them like Genghis Khan, a guy like a, a fur one, trapper. So, yeah, like a, a, a Swedish Charlie Manson. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I want to see that movie. <laughs> and they chase her up a, a cliff done by the expedient of kind of tilting the camera somewhat so that she yeah. can climb up what is obviously not a cliff and it's like well is this our heroine is, uh, and oh she's dead and then mm. we cut to I'm still not quite sure who she is actually I think she was was she a sister a sister she was a sister but then we immediately cut to modern day martial arts and I'm now yeah. horribly confused was that a flashback are we flashing forward is this movie just not going to explain anything bingo and yeah. we get well, as you say, some 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 martial arts that were a surprise that were good, and some that were amazing. They left in the film because mm. if you're going to break boards on camera <laughs> oh and you God. fail to break the board, <laughs> you don't use the tape. But if you've only got ninety minutes of footage, you use the tape where the guy goes, "Ow!" And we just watched until he broke the he, fucking. He face. had a couple of goes, and he finally got. And there's our our hero Simon watching, and they just keep cutting back to his reaction shots. Gives a thumbs up and he mm. smiles and eventually he does say the words, all right, and that's the end of that scene. And I, once again, I, same as you, I wrote down for my first line of dialogue and also timed it 12 minutes, 45 seconds. <laughs> it's go. a very, very long montage. And also, yeah. for some reason, he was standing in the black hole. I mean, everyone else was in a, a gym and they cut to Simon and it's just a black background, mm-hmm. like he's in space. And I'm just going, okay, I don't think he was in the room at the time, but I can't tell there is... But there's a lot of filmmaking basics. Like, the scene where, like, he's outside the mysterious thing, and these three people, like, kind of come up, and it's just, like, the cutting in, the everything. It's just, like... I wanted to ask you about this, because Doug, in his day job, is an editor. And I wanted to ask you, what did you think of the editing of that scene? (laughs) Where characters literally pop in, they cut from the character, back to Simon character second character simon back 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 <laughs> all in about 45 seconds until i'm having a smile seizure uh, what do you think <laughs> if i it could was perplexing doug is making right now yeah it, it, it makes sense when you realize that they had no other shots in a way but it also makes sense of like 
uh, it, they just didn't even understand the basics of how to like get people into a space. And it's just like, oh, this doesn't really work and we haven't shot things at the right angles and we'll just make them all appear. And, and if we just keep cutting, then people won't notice it or it'll be a style. And I mean, it works for Michael Bay. But... <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot, of, a lot of cutting across the line. There's a lot of, a lot of people oh, looking my. one direction and the characters obviously in another direction when we see them. So oh, yeah. It, it is, it's, it's very jarring and it's very obvious. And, then, and, so, and yeah, and just know, bizarre get... back and forth, like kind of, are we in the same fight? Are we in the same room? Are we in the same place? Is that the same chicken? <laughs> <laughs> we get or is roosters. that actually somebody's early, head? <laughs> early shots of roosters and I wrote down rooster and big one why is it crossing the hall uh, and, and i at one point wrote just simply why the chicken why the chicken it just suddenly appeared in a major fight scene yeah. outside of a restaurant oh. suddenly there was a chicken thrown into shot yeah with no reason as no to reason why whatsoever. but the chicken thing it gets explained you know it, through it, it, you it know, sounds uh, vague, yeah um, and the podcast, he gets more into the chickens and that. I, 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 I won't ruin the whole thing because it is pretty interesting to ha- no. hear Tim talk about this film and also hear uh, the enthusiasm of, uh, that the um, hosts have for it and ask about We'll probably link to it questions. on our social media, which we now have, and I'll talk about that. Yes. <laughs> we have social media now. Uh, One thing I uh, wrote down was enter the martial arts fortress. All of a sudden there is this giant... You mean the martial black- arts... Build, like Black office building, building that office. Looked, which <laughs> yeah. yes, which looked so sort of dark and foreboding, and uh, surprise, surprise, was the evil, uh, evil li- it's, e- with its mysterious musical annex, <laughs> 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 with like three guys in a white white playing music, oh. which sounds like <laughs> they appear, an they appear halfway through the film, 11. and your brain just goes, "I'm done with this movie now." It's synthetic, but the movie's only that. started with you. It's it is yeah. It, it's if you think we're not describing the plot properly, you got to watch this movie to work out why the thing that at the, the opening scenes got me right of it because of one everything's happening and nothing's been explained and two the musical score is literally just classical music it's like yeah. an operatic kind of score behind it or a uh, symphonic score i should say and it feels to me it was like ren and stimpy yeah. where they had no money for spare sound or music so they just played public domain music it's exactly the same thing it's apparently and, russian orchestras oh well there we go um, so that's like apparently there was some kind of because of the issues between the two countries or like they, they could use as much movie from russian orchestras as they want uh-huh. and so that so that it's it's almost the anti-silent rage because the movie's <laughs> nearly wall-to-wall Ooh, music, music you know and just yeah. and that's the thing is it just keeps going even though it also, like, I mean, one of the things is that, like, sometimes that means that somebody runs from one side of this really long shot to the other for, like, 40 <laughs> seconds. 40 seconds. But well, you we know, get music that sounds like the charge of the light brigade. Yeah, yeah. Or, and the other music was just a drone. It was just, like, one one note. Mm, yeah. yeah. And that was when I wrote down Rooster and next to it, why is the score now just a drone? And it was... <laughs> I mean, if you're you throwing roosters into it, make it, that's when you need your operatic thunderous music. It was for either it. drone or a Russian easy listening <laughs> orchestra. It's, uh, but I, I think there's... Um, now, Steve has written four pages worth of notes. I'm not going to read all of them. I think it would but... be a fun exercise for Steve just to read a paragraph, about four or five lines of his notes to see let's, what he's... Ex- let's, the ones just that to I describe got. this film in some yes. random way. The first major fight scene. So to, to set it up simon goes to see his master who was who was good and for some reason 
is shot in a way that's supposed to make him look like he's floating, but he's got such a dark background behind him, it's almost impossible right. to see. He could just be sitting quite far back. Mm-hmm. Who tells him he must go on a mystical quest, retrieve pieces of an amulet to seek vengeance on the people that killed his sister. So, so that's far, it, yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. He goes outside, the magical appearing of people by editing happens. So he ends up with... Yeah. Three or four, I can't remember. It's probably three, 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 friends three, three friends who are, who are like kind of, <laughs> it's like that whole like, They're oh, I'm coming scene. to attack you, just jokes, because that's what martial arts people <laughs> do, <laughs> is they appear very serious and start fighting with you, say, just buzz. Just buzz. And then he shows a picture of one of the people to a guy who goes, I know him, he works at the restaurant down the road, let's go. Literally, that is how much he, he just bang straight away. Yeah, I know him, he's yeah. at the restaurant. They head off to the restaurant, and the restaurant's locked, so we watch in long detail <laughs> much detail as they walk around looking for a way in and suddenly along comes the people unloading all the chickens who are the <laughs> evil guys and also work in this restaurant and, and do not get good reviews on Yelp I, I guess, would say. No. <laughs> guessing not yeah. so the fight scene immediately begins and I'm going to admit to bad parenting here because it was 10 o'clock at night and I got my kid out of bed to watch the fight scene because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So (laughs) here is what I wrote down about this uh, fight scene here. Let's just see. Uh, Ah, There we go. The restaurant of potential peril. How not to photograph things. More chickens. Velvet Smooth fight. If you've ever seen the movie Velvet Smooth, you'll know what I'm talking about. That's on YouTube. Look it up. That's terrible martial arts. This was like that. Kicks that hit people in the ankle. Kicks that miss. (laughs) With chicken noises. Two sound effects. Slap and thud. Chef! That was when the chef ran out. In a chef hat. (laughs) In a chef hat. And an apron. And threw a cleaver into the back of one of our heroes. Not Simon, of course, because he's invulnerable like everybody. Thump. In there. He has a superpower of being furious. Pinpoint knife accuracy. Is that Peter Talk? Slap, whack, slap, slap, whap, slap, whap. Nunchuck, run away, collateral damage, everyone. Oh, the slap, whap, it sounded like it was sort of German slapping dance type thing. <laughs> literally, this, it's, you've heard martial arts sound effects, I'm sure, but this literally was. Yeah. Someone clapping and somebody thumping. That's I don't even think had. you mentioned the guy jumping off a building. There was people on top of a building. There was some they dangerous were, stuff. There was a guy yeah, yeah. left off the top of a building. That's the pinpoint accuracy because... Simon was able to hit people with <laughs> knives from the ground that were on top of a two-story building who would then fall off. In the same shot. In the yeah. same shot. But everybody around him gets killed. Yeah. So He's not a good guy to be friends with. Except no. for how, although strangely, his whole like martial arts school of like eight-year-olds is entirely unaffected and never gets roped in. <laughs> no. You know, I mean, it's probably the only movie I've ever seen with the main character who has a martial arts school where none of the characters in the martial arts school actually help out with anything. <laughs> no, 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 those in children, those stuff, children right? kick the shit out of two of those guards. Oh, yeah, yeah, The yeah, worst yeah. guards in movie history get taken <laughs> oh, out. Oh, that's right. I totally... Yeah. You've seen this twice. I, 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 I left my notes <laughs> at home. Lot, there's a lot happening in this series. Yeah, it packs a lot into 71 minutes. Exactly. And so finally, after this, this terrible fight scene, they kind of give us a little left turn as... As Simon, he has a, a bush talking to him with a Buddha next to it, telling him, oh, Beware, yeah. beware, he's evil, beware, he's evil. Doesn't explain who. And I why can was he whispering? Guess. I don't know. I mean, There's no one else around. There's no need to yeah, whisper. It's, you know, it's, it's just a, it's only a small shrub. I mean, he, wasn't, he wasn't trying to be, it was a big giant for everyone. Beware! <laughs> but I was, I was like, Moses, what are you doing in this movie? So, and Bush wasn't on fire. They didn't get that reference. Then there so. was more repetition. More there repetition. was where the evil guy who he didn't know was evil at, the, at that point was saying, Simon, go home. Go home. Go Simon, home. Go home. This, go home. Basically, at 37 minutes into the film, <laughs> Simon 
has a fight in a restaurant. He goes to a restaurant which has what was the entertainment in that restaurant? <laughs> a martial artist and a terrible musician. So one guy is doing martial arts close poses, to the table, very close to the table, with and knives. And with also, old ladies really grossly eating chicken. <laughs> and a woman eating chicken who was inaccurately sort of. A, out of time eating chicken. <laughs> Weird performance art. She ate the chicken, she did martial arts, the she, music, the magician was back entertaining and scaring small children. She'd cho- hold the chicken to her mouth and just leave it there. Oh, someone's mum was in that film. I was like, can you just eat chicken in a really disturbing way? Like, oh. And then, oh, dearie, I'm up for that. And then they serve him, not dinner, but the heads of his friends. But not really. Not really, because it turns back into two chickens. But this is what this is what we'll learn later, later, right? That the um the interdimensional people who are searching for the amulet are turning people, into, people chickens into chickens and then serving them. So they, it's actually it's, watching it a second time, you realize <laughs> that he has actually just been served the chickens. But because of his martial arts sensibilities, he can also recognize that those chickens are actually his dead friends. And wow. then he gets into a huge fight and kills everybody. And at thirty-seven minutes, I sent a mix message to Doug saying. I'm at 37 minutes, and the movie appears to be over. And your response, I will frame, because it was, you're about to get into the bit where the movie makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and he was right, because yeah. it literally, we, we were at the, halfway through, no one, who's, who's he going to fight? Yeah. Oh, of course, his mentor, who has told him to go home, in an amazing scene where he stood on the beach and went, go home, and they cut to Simon, they cut back to him, Slightly further down the, the beach. The mentor is just sort of sliding down the it's beach. Like he can run down the beach and go, go home. Go home. Go home. And then, of course, the bush tells him, yes, by the way, he's evil. And the movie goes utterly, utterly insane. We find that he's uh, turning people into... Insane-er. Insane-er. There's, I mean, my notes yeah. there had things like yodeling attack. <laughs> Why? Uh, my favorite one describes a lot of the film. My favorite note. It's written in all caps with three question marks and two exclamation marks. What the crap shitting fuck is happening? <laughs> and I don't even know what that was. <laughs> there is just, I mean, you're not a chicken boo. I wrote that at one stage. This was late in the night, and I was starting to lose it. And I was loving it. I was having the time of my life. The second half of the movie is indescribable. There's dragons, there's fight scenes with small children, overwhelmed guards. It's yeah. just joyous. It's, and, and, I mean, the reason I forgot the kids is there's, there's so much. It's just like, it's like Holy Mountain, only like, <laughs> you know, it's a martial arts if film. If you compacted the Holy Mountain into 71 minutes and threw in Bruce Lee, that's what you've got. It's, yeah. There's gratuitous transformation of humans to chickens, which is really, really freaking <laughs> Occasionally weird. with fire company, there's the bit where the dragon appears for like one shot. <laughs> that's that's another one of all caps notes. Why have the guards come back? Why can Chan fly? Why am I asking these questions? Was that a dragon? And and also, yes. how did they afford a helicopter shot? And so they had a friend who was a Vietnam vet who had a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's like suddenly it's like we're in a helicopter for 18k. That you know when that's pretty much the cost of just the film stock. You know, it's like. That's ambition. Apparently, so, I found you in the credits. There was someone who had a name similar to Doug Dillman. So I've written, why is Doug in the credits? And my final <laughs> note simply reads, genuinely astonishing. Yes. And I will live and die by that. This movie, oh. everything happens, and there is no mm. way we can describe it. But it's on Tubi. It's free. And I suggest you turn this off in about four or five minutes' time <laughs> yeah. and go and watch this film with yes. friends and six or seven beers each. If you enjoy the what the fuckery, then oh. see this film. It's just stunning. 
my closing remark will be to go as completely pretentious as possible. <laughs> go for it. Uh, 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 no, you know, you, uh, he's no. going to try something new for a I'm, I'm going to one-up you. So I was reading. <laughs> I was going to read reading the liner notes from a Stan Brackage Blu-ray that I bought in Paris. That's not even a one-up. That's like a ten up. I don't know who uh, that is. Stan Brackage is an avant-garde filmmaker who made a film called Dark Starman, which is probably his most famous one. But he's made hundreds of abstract avant-garde films, and uh, it, there was a quote from him that. Um, he was talking with a friend about furious narrative cinema. And he said, the problem with narrative cinema is that you have the first shot and it's so full of possibility. Anything can happen. And then by the time you have the second shot, it's like four fifths of the possibilities are shut off. And by the time you're like halfway through the film, you pretty much know within, you know, about this much space, you know, what's going to, you know, there's just no sense of possibility. And so unless you're like, you know, there's the story, and the story will unfold, but we know what's going to happen. We roughly know what it's going to look like. You know, there's there's not, in the realm of possible surprise, there's not very much. Unless you're watching Furious, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> in which case the, the realm of potential surprise remains undimmed from beginning to end. Oh. And that's, that's to me, that's like the joy of... Like I've tried, I've tried to find some grand unifying theory of like why I like avant-garde stuff and and why I genuinely like a film like Furious and how I can, I don't know if justifies the right word, but <laughs> not not sound like I'm pretentious or slumming or both, and it it is just that kind of it is that delight of like being surprised by. I, I didn't see that coming. That's what's happening now, <laughs> you know, and 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 in in an exciting way. So. Bravo. It is a shitstorm of joyous insanity. It is wonderful. If yeah. I was wearing a hat, I'd take it off to it. So, <laughs> once again, we don't really disagree on these ones, apart from maybe we've got different opinions slightly on our Chuck Norris film, whereas you guys thought time. it was bad, and I thought mm. it was really bad. <laughs> yeah. But Furious is, is something yeah. you have to... If you enjoy Crazy Man, if you've seen Troll 2, if you've seen Miami Connection, go and see this film as I say yeah. it is, it and it's easy great. to access so really just do access. it yeah um, <laughs> before we wrap up I we think a, you have some news for us we we do we have now a Twitter account uh, in fact we've had it since the first episode but because of the way we recorded these things I've just set it up now <laughs> uh, we are at at Ludspeckcast L-U-D-S-P-E-C-C-A-S-T and I'll be putting up posters and things over the movies we'll be putting up links of course to the podcast and we'll probably even give you some maybe some coming attractions so that you can do Ooh, some homework and maybe yeah. watch these films too. If you want to connect uh, with us directly, um, I'm at, uh, at the B-Movie Vault, uh, which I put up uh, posters uh, there of all sorts of movies, both good and bad. Doug's at at Dilliman. At Dillamonster. At Dillamonster, sorry. That's at Dillamonster. Right. I don't know who's at Dillamon. I've never no. looked. At Dillamonster. And I'm not at. Uh, much like Machete, <laughs> Darren, don't tweet. Uh, so if you want to talk to him, just send it to me yeah. and I'll tell him. Send me a postcard. Or go by the Hollywood. He's probably there. <laughs> His address, if you want to see him in person. <laughs> it's in Avondale. <laughs> lovely movie theater. You know, it's, uh, he's got a seat shaped like his bum. Um, uh, you can, Too much yeah. information, but actually just about the right inf- right amount. And But if yes. you do want to contact us, send us something. If you've got a question, if you've got a correction you probably got a few of those yeah. send along if you've got a, a really really fun insult seeing that we might read that on the air and uh i think we might be done here so well we just thank our beer sponsor keredu uh who thank we you, think uh, the for your superb owl it's an excellent the superb owl wheat beer fantastic and 
Well, gentlemen, thanks for coming. Until yeah, next time. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye.